Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Mark Magnuson. Welcome into this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Mark Magnuson. Russ Parker, Riley Smith, and Dustin Huffman will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at the news headlines. The latest WASDE report was released on Monday, gave us the first look from the USDA as they sent their scouts into the fields. However, they still lowered production estimates. Corn was basically in line with estimates. Soybeans were cut further than anticipated, while the markets reacted accordingly. There's still concern about what our harvest will mean for supply and demand, especially if South America falters at all this year. Jim McCormick with agmarket.net joined us on Monday talked about the fears of inflation and the reactions the Fed will have to the new information. That's going to influence how much we can sell globally. The economy is going to have a lot more headwinds. The Fed is not done raising interest rates. They've, if anything, they've got a bit, little bit more aggressive in raising interest rates. What do they do when they raise interest rates? You're trying to slow down the consumption. You're trying to slow down demand. And that's part of the reason why we're seeing a little bit of pressure in the equities, but also spilling over into the commodities, especially the grain situation. Even if there is some change lower, it likely won't be off by a large percentage unless there is a major weather event in the next days and weeks. McCormick says the real worry comes in demand. What will happen if prices increase and the Fed stays aggressive? Now on the grains, we do know the supply is getting very, very tight based on that WASDE report that came out. You know, that bean carry out at 200 million could easily slip to 150 million if the yields continue to trend lower. That corn carryout, Dustin, they gave us at $1.2 billion essentially is at pipeline level. Big crops get bigger as old line goes. Small crops get smaller. So if this crop gets a little bit smaller, the supply tightens. That should be a very bullish signal on the supply side. But the headwind of this macro weakening due to the Fed raising interest rate has really got the market in a lot of volatility because – we, you know, we kind of get a handle on what the supply is going to be, but the real question now is where's demand going to be if the rate inflation rate keeps going, the Fed keeps raising rates, you know, how much demand destruction are we seeing? And that's just hard to tell at the moment. Jim also used corn as an example to show how rationing could work. If you look at where the world is right now, like your U.S., you know, your world corn carryout was around $312 million a year ago. It's going to be down to 304 To get to 304 we're assuming a record South American crop. Now, the reality is we're going to have a total supply available right now. You know, old crop carry-in was about, you know, old crop carry-in was about 1.5 billion. We're going to produce just shy of a 14 billion bushel corn crop. There is not a shortage of corn in the United States. There is a lot of corn that we can export to the rest of the world. But the problem is the world says, hey, we just get to got to get the U.S. crop to bridge us to the South America crop, their big Safrina crop. And then we'll see South America fill that void of the short North American hemisphere crop in the summertime. But if South America crop starts to dwindle for, for whatever reason, all of a sudden the world traders are going to scramble because essentially now you got to get prices high enough where do you liquidate livestock? Do you quit making ethanol? That's the, what the, if you got a supply shortage and there's only so much available, the question is who blinks first? 
The markets aren't known to be very patient, and right now we have to play the waiting game. In other news this week, corn and soybean production is down from 2021, according to this week's crop production report issued by USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service. Corn production is down 8% from last year, forecast at 13.9 billion bushels, while soybean growers are expected to decrease their production 1% from 2021, forecast at 4.38 billion bushels. Planted corn area is estimated at 88.6 million acres, down one from the previous estimate. Area planted to soybeans is estimated at 87.5 million acres, down 1% from the previous estimate. The U.S. season average soybean price is forecast at $14.35 per bushel, unchanged from last month. Meanwhile, USDA's World Agricultural Supply and Demand Report raised the season average corn price 10 cents to 6.75 per bushel. That's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Check out the rest of our daily news stories on iowaagnet.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on YouTube by clicking subscribe and hitting the notification bell on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network YouTube page to be reminded of all of our new videos. We also have our twice daily podcasts available on Apple, Amazon, Google, and Podbean. And you can follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. It's time now to kick things over to Russ Parker for his faith-based food for thought here on Weekend Ag Matters. On Wednesday night, you will find me in the kitchen at the Family Life Center, helping clean up after the meal that is served there. This past Wednesday started off the first Wednesday evening meal with the starting of the school year, and one of the food items was cheesy potatoes, cooked in one of the church's roasters. Somehow, I always seem to get volunteered to clean up the roasters, and this time some of that cheese had decided to weld itself onto the side of the pan, and no amount of elbow grease was going to remove it. While I was working on that pan, my mind wandered off to other things that get baked on and are hard to remove. The first thing that came to mind was the nighttime road trip down one of Iowa's back roads between two fields of corn earlier this summer. I think the stretch was about five miles, and you guessed it, moths galore seemed like the big, squishy, greasy kind, and in no time my windshield was coated and using the windshield fluid and wipers only made it worse. And I'm working on an old Ford tractor getting ready to paint it. I bought the tractor in the early 1990s from Kraminga Motors in Monticello, and up until earlier this summer, the hood had not been removed since I've owned it. Getting that dirt and years of grease off the engine and other metal surfaces has been a job and a half. It seems like there's a coating of oil over most of the motor still. And I can remember years ago when my wife and I bought our old farmhouse and the house had linoleum on the kitchen floor and it happened to be covering a hardwood oak floor So we decided it would be nice to restore the floor back to its original oak. That project pretty much limited us out physically and emotionally. Oh, and I went to the dentist the other day. Was told I did a great job keeping my teeth clean, but that I was a tartar-producing machine. Scrape, 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 and then rinse. I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about. And you know, living life can be kind of the same thing. Over time, the junk collects, gets baked on from things like anger, being unloving, neglecting ourselves, 
and frankly, even ignoring our faith. I know that I've had a lot of junk baked on in my life, and I expect that you have too. But there's something out there that's even better than a Brillo pad. First John tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. That's it for segment one on this week's episode. Coming up after this short break, Riley will speak with Tammy Craig Schilling of Bayer. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Come be a part of the Mecham Gone Farming Experience. We have a vintage tractor and truck auction this month that will be the greatest spectacle of vintage tractors in decades. It's the George and June Shaft Tractor and Truck Auction, September 30th and October 1st in Frankfort, Illinois. Vintage tractors, trucks, toys, dolls, signs, whether you're selling or buying or just taking a look, this is one you don't want to miss. Go to Mecham.com for more details and to register to bid. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. We're talking with Bayer's Tammy Craig Schilling. Just a bit about their investments in rural America, rural Iowa in particular, especially with 4-H and FFA. So just give us an overview of your guys' involvement with that and just uh, kind of the investment you've made. Yeah, so a few years back, um, we had met with different farmers from across the U.S., and one of the things that we continued to hear was how much they appreciated the support of rural ag youth and really of urban youth as well that may want a future in the agriculture industry. And so um, through the past several years, actually since 1954 with the FFA, we have been a sponsor um, of National FFA, and many of our sales teams also support uh, state association efforts in Iowa, um, Illinois, Missouri, and Nebraska and surrounding states. And over that time, um, one of the big things that we like to do is we, we look at it in multiple ways. So the first way is how do we support the, the education side? So literally the, the um, ag experience, ag classroom experience, the projects, uh, supervised ag experiences, the career development contests. And so it's that education and part of it's resources, but part of it's also experiences that students get to have. And so we will contribute on an annual basis. Um, right now it's about a million dollars a year that we're contributing um, towards different programming and education, but also scholarships. Um, scholarships are a huge, huge component of, um, of our contribution to FFA because we know that many young people, whether they're from urban settings or from rural communities, see agriculture as huge opportunity in careers in ag right now. We need smart, talented young people who understand and have a desire to be in food and ag. And so we found it to be a great place to put our money. Frankly, I came to Monsanto 20, um, 32 years ago uh, because the contributions that the company made and um, in FFA and 4-H. And so that was a huge background of mine and something that I was personally um, enamored by and definitely connected with the company. When Bayer um, has acquired the former company and we are now the same organization, that 
commitment is as strong, if not stronger than ever. And so it's been really fun to watch the evolution and see us invest in young people. Right, and what better place to, to find those ag, you know, the future ag leaders is what you're finding in, in 4-H and FFA. So, I mean, what's it like to just have, I mean, you basically have them in the palm of your hand and just be able to make that investment and show them that, you know, there's people who care and they want to see them succeed. You know, you said it really well that the young, um, the young ag um, the ag leaders of tomorrow are really the youth that are interested in food and agriculture today and the environment. You know, a lot of the, the a lot of the FFA members that we bring in um, and, and th that are brought into the organization and that we get to experience, you know, exposed to experiences um, are not from farms because there are not as many farms in the U.S. Our farmers are very, very productive and you don't have as many young people that go back to the farm necessarily. But a lot of people want to be attached to food and agriculture. They want to be attached to a company that um, is very purpose-driven in working with farmers and supporting um, agriculture production. And so um, it's really neat. It's very energizing. So I'll be at the National FFA Convention in the fall. Um, I'll go to the state convention. Uh, I live in Illinois, so I'll jump into uh, to the car and head up to the Illinois Convention usually every year or so. And it's super energizing as a company. The other thing we find is, is the young people that are FFA leaders, whether they're a chapter leader, um, whether they're a state leader or a national leader, have great ideas. And they also want internships. And so we will bring in a lot of interns that have been members of FFA um, to be part of the company, maybe in seed production, maybe in um, in our engineering program and our field sales organization. And we get to interact with them. We get to talk with them. And um, it's neat because it's one of the things that I also get to do because I, I, I not only for my day job, but I personally am passionate about youth and ag. I was a youth and ag. I raise youth. I raise children um, who want to be in the ag industry. And, and it is. It's really exciting. It's, um, as a company, we get to invest in that future. And then that future gets to come in either to the organization or go back to the farm or go into other ag industry that we then get to interact with and so it's um it's kind of a full circle experience being able to support the ffa the way that we do of course whenever you make an investment in those youth and ag you're also making an investment in the ag industry as a whole and of course a big thing that is probably another part of this investment is we see less and less ag literacy throughout the people and you know like you mentioned more and more people are just further removed from the farm I mean, a lot of the average family is, you know, three or four generations removed, not even their grandparents were on the farm. They just don't have any exposure to it. So, I mean, you know, what an opportunity there as well to just kind of increase that education. Like you said, there's urban kids who want to get involved in agriculture as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, one of the things that we find exciting is the growth in FFA chapters around the country. And so um, it's not just in small towns. They're located in cities and suburban areas. And the students that are attracted may, may, have, not, may have no family member that had a history of, of being on a farm. And when you look at the roles and the jobs today, data science, geneticists, I mean, I could go on um, the different kinds of roles, the finance, business roles, communications roles that are in the industry 
um, those roles are really important, whether it's, you know, ag trade media, like the work that you all do, that is a really important industry that many folks, that if you had not been exposed to FFA or been in an ag class, you don't even know really exists as a career. Horticulture, um, there are a lot of these opportunities. And we find that as when students come in to FFA programs, um, which is one of the reasons we frankly invest because once they come in, they take away leadership skills, they take away responsibility, um, they learn how to, to tell the story of agriculture, and they then go back to their communities and tell the story. And if their communities is possibly an urban community, um, we have uh, FFA members that are in major cities that will tell the story, and it's a different story. It's not the same story about me growing up on a livestock, a small livestock farm, but that's great because every Everybody's story is is important because it's all part of, of agriculture. One of the things that we're doing that I've really enjoyed watching um, since 2010 in the America's Farmers Program, we have a growing communities um, initiative and farmers across 550 counties um, in the, the state or in the, the U.S. have a chance to sign up and if their name is selected in their county, they are able to give money to a not-for-profit of their choice. And FFA and 4-H and a lot of local youth organizations get these dollars. And what's great is it's one opportunity to connect the community and a farmer to an organization that may not have had a direct interaction, even though they're part of agriculture, they may not have had an interaction. And we've seen that be a terrific tool um, to help us really use our dollars on, uh, from the Bayer Fund to invest into the communities and really help the, the ag advocacy piece and really tell the story even even better. Right, and we, we've been talking plenty recently about that America's Farmers Grow Communities program. Look forward to having more updates on that. You know, if there's people who would like to learn more and even check out that program and maybe, you know, enroll and, and try to get a chance to make that investment themselves, how can they do that? Yeah, so where you, what you do is go to, um, you can Google or use any search engine of your choice and you can Google Bayer Fund, America's Farmers, or America's Farmers Grow Communities. And right now is the sign-up period, as you were mentioning, so it's really a great time. There's also a Grow Leaders component, and Grow Leaders will be open, that, that window will be open for scholarships. A huge part of the, the million dollars we contribute to FFA goes to, directly towards scholarships, and that, um, that program will be open as soon as the FFA convention is over in October. And so, um, again, uh, right now, Grow Communities soon, grow leaders and the whole idea is um, just to invest in the future of ag youth which we believe are the future of agriculture. All right Tammy well it was great talking with you today uh, lots of great stuff of course uh, always great to be involved in those youth in agriculture uh, good luck with the rest of the season as you deal with uh, the programs and hopefully get uh, plenty of interest there and enjoy the Farm Progress Show. Great. We appreciate being at the show. One of the things I look forward to are seeing the FFA logos all over the show. And it's one of the things that, as a young person, I remember going to farm shows with my FFA chapter. And that was my first exposure to companies. I didn't think I would be working for Bayer um, 30 years later. And it's been a great career. And I really appreciate the fact that Bayer, as well as our farmer customers, want us to be investing um, into FFA and supporting 4-H and supporting other ag youth. And it's it's great to see them here at the show and I really appreciate the chance to visit with you.
That again was Bayer's Tammy Craig Schilling, and that's it for segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Dustin will wrap up as he talks with Mike Newland of the Petroleum Education and Research Council. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Hi, my name is Ethan Smith, and I've been a certified crop advisor in Iowa for about six years. The Iowa CCA program is valuable to me because it helps keep me informed on new topics and research around the industry, including soils, insects, diseases, and much more. It's also a great way to network with others around the state and beyond. Iowa is known for its crops, and that's why we're here. To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Hoffman. When we think about everything coming up for the next spring, we're worried about our inputs of anhydrous, talk about other fertilizers as well as seeds. What are the costs going to be? But what about what's coming up in the fall and the winter? Obviously, we need propane to help dry our crops and also get us through the heating seasons of winter. So what is the status of the industry? We talked to Mike Newland of the Petroleum Education and Research Council to find out. Now, of course, uh, when we're getting close to this harvest season, we're going to be talking about drying and obviously propane, a big, big fuel source for that. Of course, everything else is going into some supply crunches. How are we sitting for propane here going into this harvest? Outstanding question. That's the first one everybody brings up with me. So supply's very good. Uh, we track it uh, every single year, every month, uh, and we're, we're in a very easy five-year average window here. So what that means for us is as we're going into grain drying season, we don't expect anything um, out of the ordinary, if you will. The one caveat is every gallon that comes to a farm has to be delivered by truck. Uh, so as an industry, we're always looking for those areas that could cause us an issue from a logistics standpoint. Today, I don't see anything like that that uh, is going to be an issue for us. Now, there were some concerns earlier this year that there may not be enough. How were we able to make sure we had enough on hand? Absolutely. Uh, as the crop uh, got delayed planting every week, I get a little more nervous in the role that I'm in. Uh, the one tool that we did develop back in 2019 when we had such a big problem logistically was we developed a grain drying demand model. It's an internal tool for our propane industry, so nobody can get at that model except the propane industry. It tracks the crop that's developing, the corn crop, every single week, and we can see what the moisture is currently, how it compares to a 22-year data set now, and it will predict what that crop's going to finish up at at the end of the year. So we look at it weekly by crop district. Uh, a few that we're looking at today, they're kind of keeping an eye on are in the Upper Plains areas. The Dakotas got planted very late. Uh, they're a little shorter on heat than most of the country in general. And then there's a couple crop districts in Minnesota we're keeping an eye on as well. But everything else uh, not keeping me up all night, and uh, we're, we're feeling pretty good about where we're sitting. Now, of course, uh, not only do farms use it for drying corn, they also use it for heating homes, heating shops, uh, barns. Uh, you know, depending on which almanac you want to believe uh, is going to tell you how bad the winter is going to be. But one thing they do agree on, it's going to be colder than summer. So uh, what, uh, what are, the, are the uses going to be good for that on top of the drying? Yeah, you mentioned the ones that are common and everybody thinks about. Some other ones that we, that we also do, we do irrigate a lot of the crops around the country. Uh, we're gaining market share every single year. 
And I think it's just an availability thing. It's, uh, you know, it's much easier to set a, a tank in the middle of a section than it is to run an electrical line there. So we get a lot of those remote applications as far as irrigation goes, super easy. Uh, another unique thing that folks may want to take a look at online is weed flaming. Uh, we have uh, toolbars essentially set up with torches to burn the weeds and kill the weeds. Uh, we can run 16-row um, toolbars now and a uh, number of companies that are making that type of product. It's great for the organic space, it's certified organic, but also the guys that are really struggling maybe in a conventional rotation with herbicide-resistant weeds might want to take a look at that technology. It's a great way of cleaning up fields that have uh, weed resistance. Haven't found a weed uh, that's resistant to fire yet. We don't, we don't have to test that. Uh, fire does kill weeds. So how does the boom, I mean, we're used to seeing the boom sprayers, obviously, so tell us a little bit about how that works with the flaming. Yeah, so it's a toolbar, as I mentioned before. The tank is mounted on the toolbar. Uh, it's a little bit of a slower process than what folks would normally think on a self-propelled unit. Uh, but it's incredibly effective. Uh, like I said, where it really fits, the organic guys love it. Uh, and if you've got resistant weeds, I think it's a technology you maybe ought to investigate a little bit. You can actually do some uh, investigation at our website, propane.com slash agriculture. is a great place to start, and we've got some links to some of those manufacturers there. What other information do uh, the producers here in the Midwest need to know going into this harvesting and going into the next year? You haven't asked me about price. Well, price, that would be the big one. Yeah, yeah so uh, everybody wants to know how propane price is this year. I never talk specifically, but what I can tell you is uh, talk to your marketer, your local supplier. And uh, But what we do is track, obviously, propane versus crude versus gasoline diesel. And we're seeing an unusually widespread in our favor right now. So that has eased a bit over the last couple of weeks. But depending on the analysts that you listen to, I think that's going to continue to widen as the fall and winter goes. Uh, but talk to your local supplier and uh, make sure that you're incorporating all the tools that you can to lock in those savings now. All right. And if people want more information uh, about from the PERC, how do they find that? Go to propane.com. That's the website. Uh, all markets are uh, on the website. And if you're just interested in agriculture, propane.com uh, slash agriculture. That again was Mike Newland of the Propane Education and Research Council here on Weekend Ag Matters. And that puts the wraps on this week's show. Don't forget you can find all our content online at iowaagnet.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, and even on our YouTube channel, where you can find our daily video program, Ag Matters PM. You can also get notified when those new videos come out. Don't forget also about our free twice-daily market podcast on Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify, and Podbean. Well, from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network studios in Des Moines, I'm Dustin Huffman. For Riley Smith, Mark Magnuson, and Russ Parker, we thank you for joining us. This has been Weekend Ag Matters. <laughs>